place it comfortably. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone on screen. I wanted to begin with something um, quite practical that has relevance to the way that we do sarsin, which I uh, learned from swimming. Actually, ever since I've moved back up to the northern beaches, I've been um, swimming regularly every week. And um, when I first started off, I noticed that um, as I was about three quarters of the way down the pool to the other end, that I'd start to get really exhausted and out of breath and, uh, you know, waiting for the wall to come up again so I could stop, you know, and, and get a, a breath again. And I was getting quite exhausted. And when, when you understand um, the nature of breathing, you know, and you're putting your head in your water and you, and you can't breathe because your head is the water, is that um, it's, it's well documented that when you fear, when you, when you don't get enough oxygen going through to your brain or you fear that you're not, it triggers off a real very deep survival fear mechanism in your brain and it, and it, and it triggers some kind of panic response. Um, so even though it was only a, you know, a, a very mild sense of panic that I was experiencing, like as I got to the end, um, my breathing became dysregulated, you know, and then I, there's a slight panic set in, you know, to get to the end and then start off again. And, um, and now when I swim, um, just after sort of mindfully focusing on what I was doing and getting a few tips from here and there, um, I, I, it's not because I'm fitter, it, but when I swim now, I don't get out of breath. I can just keep on going. And what the difference was, was, um, you know, as it's getting towards the end, but you're not quite there, it's like, take a breath in, stroke, take a breath in, stroke, take a breath in, stroke. And what it, what it shifted into was just a slight difference. Take a breath in, stroke, glide. Take a breath in, stroke, glide. Right, just let, let the motion take you forward. And in doing that, um, that that's the difference that it made. And if you, there's, there's uh, relevance to this in the way that we do sarsing, and particularly for long periods of time. When you think of your breathing, <coughs> you breathe in, there's a slight pause, and then you breathe out, and there's a slight pause, and you breathe in. So as you breathe in at the sort of top of that and at the bottom of it, there's kind of like a slight little pause. And if you remember um, Diane Rosetto's book on the precept, she talked about the dead spot with the trapeze artist. And the trapeze artist swings and then there's a dead spot and you swim back again and there's a dead spot. Right? And if you breathe like that when you're swimming, right, so stroke, just gliding, slight pause, breathing, slight pause, breathing, um, then you don't run out of breath. And if you think about what happens in Sarsin sometimes, particularly in session, where you may be experiencing pain, for instance, or just the discomfort of just sitting still for a long time, I think something similar happens. It's 
like you're three quarters of the way through the period and it's like, well, when, you know, the bells should be happening soon, you know. And I think that what happens, we go into a slight panic. And instead of just breathing in, pause, breathing out, pause, it's like we don't do the pausing anymore. It's like there's no pausing, it's just next breath in, next breath in, and then everything tightens up and, um, and um, we need more oxygen, we think and our muscles tighten up and then we get more pain. Mm -hmm. You ever experienced something like that or something similar to that? Particularly in a session and like particularly with the form of Zen where we commit ourselves to a a very clear structure that we work within and everyone does it all the same rather than just free free form. Um, People can either experience it as a prison or they experience it as something liberating. And it reminds me of a, a poem, you know, from um, an English poet who the poet himself was imprisoned at the time that he wrote the poem. I mean, he said that four walls do not a prison make. The sense of being in a prison, you know, is, is in the mind. It's not necessarily in the form. And that's the way we can, even even Sazen, you know, where you some people can can experience, particularly when they're beginners, being still, being quiet, being focused is kind of like a prison. But, but you get used to it and you breathe freely and it's not a prison at all, it's actually liberating. So there's a lot of practical relevance to that, to how we actually um, swim and how we do something. But it's also got a, a, broader, a broader application to how we live our lives. And it's about how we stay calm in the midst of the unknown, mm-hmm. and much is unknown. You know, how much do we just stay safe within a little sphere of the known and don't venture out into the unknown because it's scary? And again, to to use an example from my own life with the ocean, with sailing, um, I'm so familiar from sailing from Broken Bay down to Sydney Harbour if I go outside, even if it's strong winds or anything, there's only a very slight sense of anxiety. You know, it's hard, hardly, you know, it's negligible because I'm familiar with it. If I go north to Newcastle and I'm going into an area which is not quite as known to me, I can notice the anxiety level goes up a bit more. Same ocean, same, same condition, same weather. It's just that it's unknown and the anxiety level goes up just that little little bit more. Um, but that's kind of like a metaphor for how we all live our lives, you know. And um, even as we grow up as children, we have our mothers or our fathers, you know, which are our, our anchor, our sense of security. We actually physically stay close to them. Right? And then as we get older and older, we also want to explore our environment, you know, so we move further away. We go in away from mum into the next room or we go out into the garden, you know, and as we get older, we travel down the street, you know. And so we want to explore our environment. We're just curious to know what's out there. And, um, and then, we, then we can come back into the safety of mum again if it gets too scary. So that's the way we start our lives. We start our, our lives with a sense of, Security, and if we've got that security, then we can venture into the into the unknown. 
And um, so, as we get older, like as adults, we'll have a secure home that we have, right? But then we'll travel the world, you know, go to Europe and to America and different places because we want to explore and we've got this safe place that we can, can come back to. But when you look at the essence of what Zen practice is, is that a, a poetic image which is used to describe Zen monks is unsui, which means clouds and water, which means that they are, they are homeless. Like there's, there's, the whole universe is their home. You know, it's not like this one little security place is my home. I, I might have that, but the whole universe is my home. I feel at home everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. So that's that, that's the poetic image of of a Zen experience. And uh, homelessness, when we when we reflect on it, we think of homelessness like the poor being homeless and what a terrible thing that is. Well, it is in one sense not to have a roof over one's head and food like the basics in life. But from more of a metaphorical sense or an existential sense, um, the experience of being at home everywhere, you know, is what we're, we're aspiring to all conditions and it reminds me if you you may 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 know this song but there was a a very beautiful song which was written by um paul simon and um in combination with lady smith's black man man Bazo, which was a an african singing group and the the words it's called homeless and the words of it is homeless homeless moonlight sleeping on a midnight lake Homeless, homeless, moonlight sleeping on a midnight lake. You know, so it's about rejoicing in the experience of homelessness rather than something that is to be feared. But if you reflect on it, there's so much in our life where where we cling to the known, you know, and we're fearful about going into the unknown. And if you think of it just at a a thinking level, like a, a cognitive level, which makes me, it, it always amuses me when I when I read about it. But we're told by science that there's a, a Big Bang theory, you know, and so the Big Bang, the Big Bang theory describes how the universe began. We go, oh, okay, well that's the science now, do you know, and, and scientists tell us that that's how the world begins, the Big, Big Bang theory. So we find a sense of security in it, really. Really? Sounds good. People go, oh yeah, Big Bang Theory. Now we, now we know how the universe started. Well, excuse me, I, I ask questions like, well, what was there before the Big Bang Theory? Was there time and space before the Big Bang Theory or not? Like, is there a mystery to this? And I'd have to, all honesty, say, well, I don't know. Can, can we abide in not knowing? Do we always have to know something? To know something is to feel a sense of security, even a sense of false security, that we cling to the known. If you look it up at the up at the starry sky at night and see the stars reflecting light to and the darkness between the stars and the sense of infinity, are you frightened of it? Right? Or do you go, wow, 
How amazing, right? We don't know. We don't know what's out there. We don't know what it is. We don't actually know what the mystery of existence is. And this was the title of a very famous book which was written by a, a Christian monk in the 16th century, The Cloud of Unknowing. To be able to abide in the non-known, to be, to be able to abide in the mystery and rest there and be at home in it rather than having to work everything out and have certainty about everything. This is where our practice leads us. You know, it's kind of like it leads us from the known into the unknown so that we're really comfortable with the unknown. On an emotional level, like for, for example, the experience of um, grief or loss, have you ever had the experience where you fear going into grief and loss and you kind of hover above it? Oh, I don't want to go into that because if I go into it, my world will fall apart and everything will be terrible. But you hover over it and don't really go into it um, because we fear the unknown. But then at some point you drop into grief and you drop into loss and it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. It's like you, you're in the stream and you're flowing with it and you might, you might cry, you know, or be distressed, but you're in the stream and it's no longer distressing anymore because you, you're one with it. That's how it also, that's how it also works um, emotionally. That is the experience when people come to psychotherapy. They're clinging to the known, but we very gently bring them into the unknown, you know, the unknown journey of their inner emotional life. And it makes a difference, you know, so they can be with it. So the nature of life is that it's transient. And if the nature of life is it's transient, it's also unpredictable. Uh, but our, our, our brains are wired up to want make everything predictable. You know, we, we develop our memory so we can predict the future, which is fine, it has its purpose, its utilitarian purpose, but at, at a deeper level, at a spiritual level, at, at an existential level, we don't know what the future is going to bring. Mm-hmm. Are we okay with that or not? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we have, we have a way of um, being present with the unknown, which brings us full circle back to experience of swimming or just breathing. If we can not panic in the face of the unknown, we can just keep breathing, pausing, breathing, pausing, breathing. Then we can we can sail into unknown territory. And that's kind of like our 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 faith that we can actually float rather than sinking this big ocean, you know, we're going to get drowned out. The nature, of, the nature of life is that actually there's nothing solid. There are no solid things when we really look, really look at it. Nothing is solid. Um, everything is slippery. Right? And so what Zen practice teaches us is to slide. Thank you.